0: this evening to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 18. Luke 18, we'll be reading together verses 1 through 8. Let's give our attention now to the Word of God. Luke 18, beginning with verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that day after day, week after week, you bless us with your word and truth. And this evening, Lord, is no exception. You have given us these words to instruct us, to teach us, to help us to encourage us to pray. And we ask, Lord, that you will attend these words now by your Spirit and use them to strengthen us in our lives to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we were looking at our Savior's final words, the end of chapter 17. And if you remember, for those of you who were here then, that that is where Jesus is pressing upon his disciples the need, the absolute necessity of being ready when Jesus returns. Let me just briefly restate the points that we considered. Number one, that Christ's return will not be in the way that many think it will. He tells them the kingdom of God does not come in ways that can be observed. You're not going to be able to see certain things happening, certain events taking place. And say, oh, okay, understand, that means Jesus is coming soon. Nor will the coming of Christ, the return of Christ, be a secret event. Instead, it's going to be like lightning across the sky. Everyone is going to see it, and everyone's going to know it when it happens. Thirdly, we saw that Christ's return takes place in the midst of normal, everyday activities. People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building, until the day Noah entered the ark. Jesus said it's going to be like that. Normal things are going to be happening nobody's going to be expecting this to take place and then lastly his return is going to be sudden it's going to take place there's not going to be time to prepare for it then two are going to be grinding at the mill one is going to be taken one is going to be left two are going to be sleeping in a bed One is going to be taken, one is going to be left. It's going to be sudden. The time to prepare, brothers and sisters, is right now. We need to be prepared. Now, as we come to Luke 18 and this next section, I believe that what Jesus is doing, what Luke is trying to impress upon us, is how the Lord shows the immediate impact that this truth of Christ's return should have upon us. Do you see that? Do you understand that? Young people, children, do you understand what effect? So you know Jesus is coming again. He's going to return. It's going to be like lightning. It's going to be sudden. There's going to be no time to prepare. What impact? Should that have upon your life? All of you, adults, elderly, it doesn't matter who you are, what impact is this truth of Jesus' return going to have? And it comes down to this. When we truly believe what Jesus taught about his return, it should lead us to prayer. It should cause us to pray. And not just pray, but to pray always. And not just to pray always, but to pray and not lose heart. Not become weary, not become discouraged. Now, to help us implement that into our lives, our Savior employs two simple easy-to-understand, yet very pointed parables. One of them we are going to consider tonight, the parable of the persistent widow, and one, Lord willing, next Sunday evening on the prayer of the uh, publican and the Pharisee. But right now what we see is Jesus is showing us through this parable exactly what kind of praying jesus has in mind so this should lead us to prayer what kind of prayer he's going to tell us and not only that but he also shows us how we can pray that way without becoming discouraged So we're going to look at four particulars, beginning with the first one, the purpose of the parable, as seen in the duty and the danger. Now parables, we've been through a number of them in our study of Luke, and most of you know that parables are simple stories of individuals or events that are designed to communicate or emphasize a particular spiritual lesson. So the parable of the sower, man went forth to sow, some seed fell here, some fell there, some fell here. It's the need for the seed of the word of God to fall upon our hearts, and that our hearts be good soil, not hardened ground like the pathway. It's the lesson about the word falling upon our hearts. The parable of the prodigal son that we recently considered is a parable that, among other things, emphasizes the sheer abundance of God's mercy, of God's love. And of the blessings God bestows upon those who will turn from their sin and confess those sins And look to Jesus in faith. In the case of the persistent widow, Luke leaves absolutely no question about the purpose of this particular parable. Look at verse 1. How does he put it? He spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Very simple. It's, it's, these are pearls on top of the ground. They're right there for us. And it's very clear. This is the purpose of this parable, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, as Jesus deals with this, he, he focuses upon two elements here. Number one, the duty of praying always. And number two, the danger of losing heart or becoming weary in your prayers. Now, the lessons, my friend, before us are quite simple. But first, we see that one of the primary ways in which you prepare for the return of Christ is through praying always. Praying all the time. Praying about everything, big things, little things. Men ought always to pray all the time. So This is something we are to learn from this parable. We are to pray every day. We are to pray throughout the day. We are to pray every night. And if you're awake in the middle of the night, that's a good time to pray. The psalmist says seven times a day I will praise you. We know that he prayed at 6 a.m., at noon, at 6 p.m., and he got out of bed at midnight to pray. Somewhere in there, he adds three more times that he sets aside. This was not every prayer he prayed, but it was specific times that he used to pray. We are to pray always. We are to pray about everything. We are to pray every day. My friends, this is one of the most basic, biblical truths you will find anywhere in the Word of God. This is Christianity 101. Just think of Paul's letters to the churches, churches that he established all over Asia Minor and, and Greece. And what does Paul do when he writes to the relatively new converts in Thessalonica? Look at First Thessalonians five, first Thessalonians five, and verse seventeen, when he says, "Pray without ceasing." You're pray always, pray without ceasing. What about to the Ephesians? These were well taught, well instructed believers. And what does Paul say to them? Listen to what he makes part of the armor of God that he tells them to put on in chapter 6 of Ephesians. 6 in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. That is, all kinds of prayer. Confession, thanksgiving, praise, supplication, intercession. Pray always and use all all kinds of prayer and do it in the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit be the one that guides you in that. Colossians 4 and verse 2, Paul says, continue earnestly in prayer. How lethargic we sometimes are when we pray, we go through the motions. Paul says when you pray, Think, think of those opening words of Matthew Henry seizing that special moment of taking hold of Almighty God. Pray. Pray earnestly. Pray always. Pray vigilantly, he says in Ephesians or Colossians 4. And then those classic words that he gives us in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. You've got things that trouble you. Have you got things that disturb you? Paul says, don't be anxious about them. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God the duty of praying always. I hope you're getting the picture from these verses. The duty of praying always is not just for a select few. It's not just for the really spiritual individuals. It's not just for your pastors. It's not just for retirees that have nothing else to do all day long. This duty belongs to each and every one of us. Children, this duty belongs to you. You can pray. You can pray all day long. You can pray at night. You can pray in the morning. Pray that God will open your eyes and show you more of himself, more of Christ, of what it means to trust him to believe in him, to live for him. You young people, teenagers, this is for you. You've got your own special, unique situation and and struggles that you deal with. Pray, pray all day, pray always about these things and don't grow weary in it. Pray that God would be gracious, that he would draw you closer to himself that he would help you to be faithful to him and obedient to his word. Pray, husbands, wives, you got plenty to pray for. This is for you. Pray that God would make you a godly husband. Pray that God would make you a godly wife. You parents, pray, this is for you. Pray always for your children, for your grandchildren, that God would use you to form their lives and help them serve the Lord and be faithful. Pray for your neighbors, for their salvation, for your coworkers. We could go on and on and on, every single one of us. Pray, widows, this is for you. This was a widow who's going and giving us this model of prayer. This duty is for every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, this duty will not be performed lightly. This duty will not be carried out flippantly. This is something that must be purposefully and vigorously cultivated in your Christian life. It will not happen automatically. Most of us know that all too well. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He talks about the duty of praying always, but then he warns about a particularly common and deadly danger. And that is the danger of losing heart, of becoming weary in your prayer life, of becoming discouraged. Now, what happens to your prayers when you become discouraged with prayer? What happens when you become distracted by so many other things going on in your life your work your family the needs that you have in different ways what happens when you become discouraged and distracted usually we stop praying or at least faithfully and earnestly and vigorously we stop praying And my friends, when we do that, we are slowly declining day by day. When we stop praying, you stop preparing. You stop being ready for the return of Christ. How do we avoid this snare that the enemy of our souls places in our path every day? well we can mark and learn this parable mark it and learn from it so let's look at the illustration secondly in the judge and the widow now jesus says in verse two he describes two people a judge and a widow the judge is a godless man he doesn't care anything about God. He doesn't care anything about men. He, in other words, is only interested in one thing, and that is himself. I, don't, I have no interest in God. I don't even believe in God. And I have no interest in really helping other people. All I'm interested in is doing what pleases me or what will benefit me in some way. And then there is this widow. She is being treated unjustly. We're not given any details. She is being harshly dealt with by an adversary. She comes to the judge for help, and the judge says, I don't care. I'm not interested in you. Go away. But she comes back. She comes back again. Go away, and again. Go away, and again. She comes. She will not give up. And finally, the judge says, you're going to drive me crazy, woman. And he says, okay, I'll do what you ask. Now, sadly, there are more than a few people that interpret this parable to mean that if we just keep asking God, If we just ask and ask and ask, then eventually, if we just keep bothering him like this widow bothered the judge, eventually he will break down and give us what we desire. Well, I think instinctively, most of us know that's not what this parable means. But what does it mean? Well, here's the clue. Here's, here's the key element. If you want to understand this parable, if you want to understand why Jesus is using it to encourage and motivate prayer, you must understand that this parable is a contrast, not a comparison, between the judge and God and the widow and the elect and their prayers. This is not a comparison. This is a contrast between the two. This judge is not at all like God. This judge bears no resemblance to God. He doesn't care. He doesn't care for God. He doesn't care about man. But my friends, God, our God, The God of the Bible is a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of grace who seeks to bestow blessings upon his people. This judge did not love this, this widow. He didn't care about this widow. He was not interested in her in the least. But our God, the God of the Bible, is a God who loves the righteous and who cares about every aspect of their lives. Turn over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. And you'll remember how, how Peter is encouraging us to be humble in verse 5, for he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And then Peter says this in particular. Casting all your cares upon him. We can cast all our cares, all our troubles, all our needs upon him. And you know why? Because he cares for you. The duty is yours everyone in this room, but this promise is yours, that God cares for you. That is the way Peter encouraged us to to go to God in prayer, to call upon his name, to enter into his presence, to cast our cares upon him because he cares for you. So much so, that Deuteronomy 32.10 says he regards you as the apple of his eye. You, brothers and sisters, children of God, covenant people of God, you are the apple of his eye. You are the most precious possession he has. He cares About you, unlike this judge. The widow is not at all like the elect people of God. The widow received absolutely no encouragement to go to this judge. My friends, the elect children of God are invited to come. Come to me, Jesus says, all you that are weary and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come, says the prophet Isaiah. Come to the waters. Eat, drink, delight yourself in the fatness of salvation. We are called, come to me, says the Lord. Though your sins be red like crimson, I will wash you and cleanse you and make them white as snow. We are invited to come. We are encouraged by promises. Jeremiah 33, 3, when he says, call upon me, call upon me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you could not even imagine. God invites us. He calls us to come. This widow had no one to Stand with her or beside her or support her. No one to plead her case before this judge or to be her help. But what does John tell us in 1 John 2? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. She had no one to help, she had no one to support. Brethren, we have Christ standing, as it were, at our right hand, saying, I am beside you, I am with you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have every encouragement to come. The widows, please, were said to be a bother to the judge. Do you know what our prayers are to the judge of all the earth? We heard it this morning, the reading of Psalm 141. Our prayers, the lifting up of our hands are like the incense, sweet smelling incense of the evening sacrifice. God loves it when his people pray, when they call upon his name. Psalm 3415 tells us the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open." To their cries. This is a contrast, not a comparison. The widow received an answer, but it was only after a long time and many pleas, and that with great reluctance. But Jesus says, God will answer the elect who cry to him day and night speedily. Now that brings us to our third point, and that is the encouragement. Of the parable because our God is a God who hears prayer when we see this parable as a contrast not a comparison we realize our Savior's design is to give his disciples encouragement to pray to pray always and not grow weary Simply put, what Jesus is setting before us is this, that your heavenly Father loves you beyond conception. He loves you. He cares for you. He cares about every need that you have. And therefore, we are to pray always and not lose heart. We are to pray about everything and not become discouraged. But he's not only gracious and loving and caring. He's strong. And he's mighty. And he's wise. And he will do what is good for you and for the glory of his name. I love that scene for you C.S. Lewis fans and particularly the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the fawn the first time he sees aslan he's terrified and he turns to lucy and he says is he safe and she says safe of course not he's a lion but he's good he's strong and powerful he can tear his enemies into pieces But he's good. And that's what we can say about our God. He's strong. He's mighty. He's powerful. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. No one can resist his hand. But he's also the lamb. The lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world for all who put their trust in him my friends this is especially helpful in those situations where we are most prone to discouragement and you know what they are it's when we pray and we pray and we pray And nothing happens. That is when we must remember that though he is strong, though he can do whatever he wants to, he's also wise and he's good and he will do only what is good for us. Sometimes we cry and we pray and we call upon the name of the Lord and he does not respond. Why? Why does that happen? Well, Isaiah 55, 8 reminds us, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts, and my ways above your ways. Here's the sad reality. Oftentimes, like in James 4, when he says you have not because you ask not. And then he says sometimes you ask, but you don't receive because you ask for the wrong reasons or at the wrong time. And I know I can think of numerous times in my own life when I look back and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And God did not answer that prayer. And then I can see later. God knew things about the situation that I didn't know. He will always do what's right. He will do it in the right way. He will do it at the right time because he's wise and he's good. And he couples that with his strength. This truth caused Bishop Hall to write good prayers, Never come weeping home. Either I received what I asked for or I received what I should have asked for. We don't need to fear that God will not answer us. He will answer. And he will answer in the right way at the right time and do what is right and good for us and for his will. Well, lastly, the conclusion of the parable and this question about faith. These are probably some of the most puzzling, unusual words that we hear from the mouth of Jesus. As he comes to the close of this parable, which is an encouragement for his people to pray, to pray always and not grow weary Jesus comes with this final statement. When the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith on earth? I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus takes us right back to the previous section, the day of the Lord, when the Son of Man comes. The point is, brethren, This parable is not a parenthesis that Jesus is is dealing with something totally apart from what he just dealt with. No, this is connected, connected closely to what he just told us about preparing for the coming of the Son of Man. And now Jesus brings us right back there. When the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith on earth? The point is that As we wait for the Son of Man to return, we pray. We pray always without becoming weary. Secondly, the question is not asking, will there be any faith at all on the earth when Christ returns? He's not asking, will will there be any of the elect children of God on the planet when I return scripture does not contradict scripture and we have a boatload of scriptures that teach us the perseverance of the saints all that the father has given to him shall come to him and of everyone that comes to him not one will be lost not one we read in Philippians 2 and and verse or Philippians 1 and verse 6 We read that he who began the good work in you will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. What God has started, he will finish in conforming us to the image of Christ. Well, what is Jesus saying? When the Son of Man comes, will there be any faith on earth? I believe that what Jesus is saying is this. Will there be any of this kind of faith? Faith that prays. Faith that prays always and does not become discouraged. This kind of faith, crying day and night to him and not growing weary in that duty. This kind of faith that believes God will do what he said he will do. And prays in faith, believing. You Remember how James puts it in chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him pray. God who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not will answer that prayer. But James says, let him pray in faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Jesus is saying, will there be this kind of faith? This kind of faith that prays, that believes, that pleases God, that prays always and does not become discouraged. This kind of faith that puts their whole heart and trust in the God who is mighty and glorious and strong, in the God who hears and the God who answers prayer to him. Brethren, may God take his word and not only teach us and instruct us what he wants, but may by his power give us grace. Today, tonight, tomorrow, and all week long, all our lives long, that we would pray always and not lose heart. Let's pray together. Father and God in heaven, we thank you that we can call upon you a great mighty and awesome God, to know that there is no one like our God, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, always doing wonders. The Lord open our eyes and open our hearts to receive your truth, to apply it by the grace and work of your spirit to our lives that we might bring you glory. And see the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, exalted. We ask it in his name. Amen.